Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am. <clears throat> Sounds like something in the Old Testament. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Again tonight, being a witness for Jesus. Have you ever been given a task that seemed so difficult you didn't know how to do it? You've been given a task to do, but you're not told how to do it. Uh, you were left to figure it out all on your own. A job that was bigger than you were, were or are. A task that's much bigger than your capabilities, almost an impossibility to do. And yet precisely that seems to me what Jesus Christ has given to you and me and given to the church in general. I have pastored three churches prior to coming here 17 years ago. I was associate pastor at two other churches with the same pastor for 13 years. I went to college, got a bachelor's degree, and have two earned master's degrees and earned doctorate. I've been on several committees throughout my 10 years of pastor and had several positions I've held in different places. You would think you'd know how to pastor a church. But I'll never forget the first day that I sat in that pastorate for the first time behind that desk, and I said, what do I do? Where's the manual at to tell me what to do next? It wasn't there. All the training, all the teaching, all the experience, and I felt like a neophyte as I sat there behind that desk. So I figured out what to do. I went and made a cup of coffee. That always seems to help. Well, with that being said, one of the most frustrating experiences in life is to be have given an enormous job to do or a task to do, and then no one tell you how to do that or how to accomplish that task. Many times we give been given jobs that appear to be bigger than we are. We've been given tasks to do that seemingly there's no way in the world we can carry them out. And to me it seems like that's what Jesus has done with you and me and with the church. Remember what he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to obey everything I've commanded you. In other words, we've been given the task of telling everybody on this planet about the good news. You, I, have been given the task of telling the world about the good news. Now this is not given to individuals per se, it's given to the church. The church is supposed to fulfill the Great Commission. There's some preachers that feel like that they're called to, 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 to fulfill the Great Commission, and they go out of the business, God's going to go out of the business. The commission has been given to the church, of which you and I are so individually, we have a responsibility to preach the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, to witness to people about who Jesus Christ really is. We know that. My question is, how many people have you and I talked to today? How many people did we talk to yesterday? How many did we talk to last year? about Jesus and His love for the world? Or are we, I didn't say you, I said are we entering into this brand new year the same way we closed out last year, knowing that we should, we ought to, we can, but we didn't? Again, everybody's responsibility often becomes nobody's responsibility. God makes it plain what we should do, fulfill the Great Commission. But here's the catcher, He doesn't tell us how to do it. And to me that's frustrating. 
It, 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 you, you've been given jobs to do and you didn't know what, didn't, nobody told you how to do it. I, my first pastor, I had all this education and all this experience and I don't know what to do the first day. I, I pastor a church, but I don't know how. And yet the Lord has given us the great commission to fulfill and yet He has not told us how to do it. Why? Because the one size does not fit all. I remind you the message that He's given to us never changes. But the method in which we share the message changes all the time. It depends on the culture. It depends on the people group. It depends upon the climate. It depends upon where you are. The cultures change, and the way you give the message out changes, but the message should always stay the same. And yet many times when we have a certain way of doing things, we often want to condemn other churches or other Christians for the way they share the method because it doesn't line up in our paradigm. I don't care how people share the message as long as they don't change the message. Amen. So once again, the message stays the same in every generation, every people group, every culture. But the methods that we share the message can change with the passing of time. Let me tell you, pastoring changes about every five years until 2020. It changed two years ago, and I mean, it's still in a whirlwind. What do you do? How do you pastor? There's a lot of people, they don't want to be pastored. They think if you're pastoring, you're pastoring. I'm honest with you. And the truth of the matter is, it changes all the time. And we've got to learn how to adapt to the culture without compromising the message in the culture. And the problem is, too many people compromise the message in trying to change the method. So again, the message stays the same. Jesus told us what the message was, but He did not give us the method as to how we're to fulfill it. Are you with me? Now, to refer to this as the Great Commission basically is an understatement. In fact, the Great Commission should be the main focus of the church. And any church that lifts up the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ, our primary reason for being should preach the gospel. Tell people about the love of God. Tell people it's a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. And you don't do that much like that anymore today because the method doesn't work. People are offended if you tell them they're going to go to hell. They don't accept Christ. That's just the way it is. But it doesn't change the fact that's what happens. With that being said, in essence, we exist to fulfill the Great Commission. And given this divine message, Jesus tells us nothing about how we are to fulfill it. He just said, go. The manner of going, the way we go, how we go, the way we tell it as we go, He doesn't tell us in the Word of God. He, he, he did things different at Antioch than He did at Philippi. He did things different at Corinth than He did in Ephesus. It, it, the message was the same. But the way the message went out was always different. Now, it's one thing to tell me to build a jungle gym for my grandkids. It's another thing to build that if I don't have instructions. It's one thing for me to cook a gourmet meal, but it's another thing to try to do that without instructions. And the frustrating part of fulfilling the Great Commission lies in the fact He tells us to go, but He doesn't tell us what to do in the process of going. No one is excluded. Let me say it again. Not a one of us is excluded from fulfilling the Great Commission, from being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just for pastors only. This is not just for deacons only. This is not just for Christian teachers only. This is not just for men or women only. Uh, this is not for people who were born uh, when Mars was lining up with Jupiter. Uh, no, it's for all of us. No one's excluded in sharing the message of Jesus Christ the Lord. We all have been saved out of this world, and then He calls us to go back into this world to tell people about the Jesus that's changed us. 
That's, that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Now the job trying to do that is challenging. The job of doing that can be extremely overwhelming. We've been trying as a church to accomplish this for the past 2,000 years. And I'm telling you what, friends, seemingly we're losing ground rather than gaining ground. Let me try to illustrate this way. If a car was in Los Angeles, California, and was on the highway heading to New York City, let me back up, is in New York City heading to Los Angeles, and that car is traveling five miles an hour, and another car leaving from New York heading to Los Angeles on the same road is traveling at 100 miles an hour. The car that's traveling 100 miles an hour represents the world population changing so rapidly. And the car traveling five miles an hour represents the, the people of the church reaching the world for Christ. It almost looks like we're losing ground. Are you following me? So how is it possible to make a difference in our world. How is it possible for you and me to take this great commission so seriously that we're to be a witness so seriously that we can change our corner of the world, our Jerusalem itself? The way to do that, brothers and sisters, it becomes, we as Christians, become what is known as a multiplier. We multiply our lives in the lives of people that we come in contact with. In the book of Acts, the Bible said the Lord added unto the church daily those which would be saved. And then later on, He was multiplying the people that came to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means not only that we do follow Christ, but we also multiply ourselves in other people. It's not just say, I follow Christ. But in following Christ, we obey Him, and we multiply ourselves in other people along the way. People lead other people to Jesus as well. As I lead somebody to Christ, hopefully they'll lead somebody to Christ. And then hopefully they'll lead somebody to Christ. And that's the way it goes. It's the domino effect in life. Now suppose every person in this room were to lead one person to Jesus within the next six months. And that person went out and within the next, next six months led somebody to Jesus Christ. And then it went on and on and on. It's been estimated that during that time, it's like a great pyramid scheme, a legal one. If you did that, the entire world could have the gospel proclaimed to them in as few as 32 years. Think about that. Let me say it again. If six months I led someone to Christ, and that person six months later led someone to Christ, and that went on and on and on, the world could be evangelized within a period of 32 years, it's been estimated. But here's the thing everybody's not going to believe. He's not called us to make people believe. He's called us to tell them so they can believe. You and I cannot force people into this. Unlike the Muslims, if you're born into a Muslim household, you're going to be a Muslim. You have no choice. It's not the way it is with Christianity. The Lord does not force Himself on anyone. He's a gentleman. He does not force Himself upon anyone. He leads, He guides. And then He doesn't deceive us in what it means to follow Him. He puts the rubber right where the road meets. If you're going to be my disciple, you forsake all else and you follow me. You might be hated, you might be persecuted, you might be martyred, you might be disavowed, you might be disliked. You're going to have some problem. But he says, if you follow me, it's not going to be an easy ride. It's not going to be smooth sailing. But I'll promise you this, you'll have a safe landing on the other side. So the Lord does not lie to us. He does not deceive us. He does not mince words when it means to come to following in the steps of Jesus Christ. Now for this to work, every believer must think of ourselves as a multiplier, okay? 
Now, Bill Hybels, who was the former pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, Illinois, he came up with a mathematical formula, he called it. It was called HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. You got that? You know what that means? All right, I'm glad you, I'm glad you passed your math test tonight. Now, this stands for high potency, close proximity, clear communication, and maximum impact. Now, let me give a little English lesson. You should never put the two words close proximity together. It means close, close, okay? But for argument's sake, we're going to say close proximity. That's in the English lesson. How about that? Now, high, pot high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals uh, maximum impact. So what does that mean? Well, let's take a look at this. And let's try to break it down in layman's terms to where we can understand what I think Bill Hobbles was trying to say. First of all, HP stands for high potency. It means that we must have a high potency relationship with Jesus Christ the Lord. With that being said, a vibrant walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be such a walk with people that people have taken knowledge that we have been with Jesus Christ. Not that we have a religion, not that we go to church, not that we do this, that, or the other, but that when problems come, we don't act like the world, we don't respond to the world the same way the world does. We don't, there's something different about the way we walk. There's something different about the way we talk. There's something different about the way we believe. There's something different about the way we respond to the problems of this world. Paul said, let your speech, your life be seasoned with salt. To have an impact on the world, we've got to have a relationship with Jesus that is real. A relationship that people know that we have taken knowledge that we've been with Jesus. A relationship that every moment of our, of, our, of our day and every aspect of our lives, people take knowledge you're different. You remember when you first got saved, were you different? Did God take the cusser and let him put a praiser in? You still drink, just change bottles? Still dance, just change partners? You know what I'm talking about? There was a change on the inside. It's not something we made. I want to tell you something. When I was about 12, 12, 13 years of age, a little Methodist pastor used to come by the school, two elementary schools in town, that's all we had, and he pastored a little, two Methodist churches, and he would come by and pick uh, about five or six of us up from two elementary schools and take us to the big Methodist church and feed us cookies and drink Kool-Aid. And he would tell us stories about Jesus. The man loved us. And he'd drop us off at home. I was the last one to ever get out of the car. And one day he looked at me and he said, Son, are you about ready to accept Jesus? And oh, wow, I wanted to. But I didn't know how. And I told my mom, I said, I'm going to be a Christian. Okay, good. I'm going to try. Before the day was over, I blew it. And before the day was over, she reminded me I blew it. For those who didn't see, <laughs> she reminded me that I blew it. See, you're not a Christian. No, I wasn't. So I tried to live this thing. You cannot live it without Him living in us. But oh, how I remember when I was 17 years of age and I was preached under conviction and prayed under conviction. And during that revival service, they sang the song, Just as I am without one plea, I come to you and all to be born again. And now, I, the, the, this, the same old man, the same old hair, the same old clothes, but somebody else living on the inside. And now I'm not perfect, but thank God I'm forgiven. And people took knowledge that there was a change in my life. I didn't change myself. He changed me. Amen. 
And that's what the world needs to see, a vibrant relationship. But we cannot live on that experience alone. We've got to feed our new man. We've got to nurture that new man. We've got to grow in that new man. And we've got to become the Christian that God wants us to be. It's often been said, the greatest example of Christ is wrapped up in your shoe leather and wrapped up in mine. They might not listen to our words, but they will watch our life. They will watch our life. With that being said, to have an impact on the world, we've got to have a relationship with Jesus that's so real every moment of our lives. Daily conversation, it must be salted with the love of God. Now, when I was first saved, we had a Christian bookstore about 20 miles from my house. I didn't know how to read that well, but I liked to go to that Christian bookstore and look at the music and all those things. And I'd walk in a few times a month, look at all the stuff they had, the new praise, worship albums, and so forth. And one day I was in there by myself, and the lady's behind the counter. And she looked at me, she said, I love you come to this store. I just feel the presence of God. And I said, who's she talking to? She know you. I said, what, me? She said, you give off an aura. Friend, I wouldn't give nothing off. I've just been me. But you know what happened? I read this book for hours. And I prayed for hours. Because I wanted to know him. I had such a hunger. And I had such a burden for souls. But what's happened through the years? I'm being honest. What's happened through the years? Oh, I'm a pastor now. I'm busy. I study all the time. And I preach all the time. And I'm here this committee. And that. And I, all I, and sometimes I get frustrated because I want to be out there more than I am. But if you and I would just become so saturated with the presence of God, we don't even know we're giving it off. We don't even know that, that what God's on the inside. But people see God in you. But if all we have is church, and friend, don't, miss, don't get mad at me. If all you and I have is a church service once in a while, and we're not in this book, and we're not on our prayer closet, we're not going to look any different in the world or add any salt or any flavor whatsoever to the world that we live in. So can I implore you to pray for me, as I will pray for you if you want it, that we'll get in that prayer closet this year, and we'll let Christ be formed in us through His Word and through His Holy Spirit. And then once we go back out in this world, people will take knowledge that we have been with Jesus. It's not about making us look good. It's about making Him look good. It's about being thirsty, being salt. Salt makes people thirsty. Have you ever eaten any mashed potatoes that had no salt on them? They're pretty bland. Well, I can make a good batch of mashed potatoes. I mean, they're, they can be fluffy and all that. But if they don't have no salt, they're bland. And I don't like a lot of salt. But salt adds flavor. And I'm here to tell you tonight, brothers and sisters, salt is what gives food flavor. So when our speech and conduct, in other words, our lives are filled with the salt of God, it is evident to the world that we've been in God's presence. Do we, are we salty enough that we make people thirsty for the Jesus we have? Think about it. Are we salt, am I salty enough that I make, get around people and make them thirsty for the Jesus that I have? Do you know that Christianity and Christians are the greatest testimony for Christ? But Christians can be the greatest deterrent to Christianity. Because if we're not drawing people to us, we are pushing people away from us. And sometimes the way we live and what we say and what we do advertises who we really are. And we can say Christian all day long, but if I'm not living it, if I'm not letting Christ be formed in me, if I'm not being the light of the world or the salt of the earth, 
then what am I really doing, God? Holy Spirit, search me. How about you, church? Holy Spirit, search us and make sure we are what we're supposed to be. To lead people to Christ is an evidence that we indeed are a follower of Christ. Let me say it again. To lead people to Christ means that we are a devoted follower of Jesus Christ Himself. It means that we're in a difficult situation. We respond differently than what the world would. There are things that come my way, I just want to punch some in the nose. Do you? Come on, I see your halo spin on your horns. <laughs> Don't we all get that way sometimes? We just want to hit somebody right in the nose. You get hit, he said, turn the other cheek. That doesn't prove what we can take. It proves what the Lord can give. Now, I'll tell you what, growing up I had a temper. I still got a temper. But it's a weak piece of steel that don't have a little bit of temper. Come on, say amen. Let me say it again. It's a weak piece of steel that doesn't have a little bit of temper. Y'all know the senior citizen salute, don't you? <laughs> what about it, okay? <laughs> I had a temper out of this world. And I said, God, my daddy had a temper. My granddad had a temper. One day he said to me, but I'm your new heavenly father. I said, well, I can't excuse myself anymore, can I? I just had to let Christ be formed in me and let the, let the fruit of the Spirit grow. I still have a temper. Sometimes I, I'm not proud of myself. Are you? <laughs> I'm being honest. Uh, there, I, 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 a long way to go. This, this old vessel is still in the construction up here. But I, I'm telling you what, it's a challenging and difficult task because you want to scream and yell. You want to get revenge on people. You, don't, you want to make fun of people from time to time. We've all been there. I'm here to tell you, you and I may be the only Bible some people ever read. And I pray they'll read Jesus in your life and mine. We've got to spend time with Jesus in prayer, friends. We've got to spend time with Jesus in His Word. We've got to spend time with Jesus in worship. And we've got to spend time with Jesus in church. And let me just say this. I'm speaking to the cream of the crop tonight. But people today are looking for excuses to stay out of the house of God. And the Bible said, as we see the day approaching, we must not forsake this assembling of ourselves together. I'll tell you one thing. When I see people habitually land out of the church over and over and over again, I say, there's either something wrong with my teaching, something wrong with my cooking, or something wrong with the appetite. And sometimes it can be both. Don't get mad at me, church. I'm just up here sharing my heart. And I believe it's important that we stay in the Word of God and with the people of God. Now, a recent study asked 10,000 Christians how they came to Christ and how they came to church. To me, this was very, very interesting. Friends are watching us. They're looking for flaws in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're living, if we're not living an authentic Christian life, when our faith is shallow, we don't live out the truths of the gospel. We do more harm to the Great Commission than we do to expand our testimony of Christ and see the Great Commission fulfilled. Now, I read a story about a wealthy Christian lady in Nairobi, Kenya. She had hired this young man to be her houseboy, and he was trained well. She loved him. And after three months, he told her, he said, if you don't mind, I'm going to be leaving tomorrow. And uh, she, he said, I'm going to be going down the road a few miles and working for a Muslim. She said, oh, please don't go. She said, I'll pay you more money. Please stay. And he said, it's not about the money. He said, you see, I want to know whether I want to follow Christ or whether I'm going to be a Muslim. And he said, I spent three months with you, and I want to go spend three months with the Muslim sheik to see which one I'm going to follow. And she said, but why didn't you tell me before you came so I could have lived a better life because I've blown my testimony many times before you? Here's the moral, moral of the story. 
she shouldn't have had to have told him. She shouldn't have had to have told him. We should all live our life. And even when we blow it in church, we blow it. There's not one of us in this room can walk on water unless we know where the stumps are at. And then we'd probably fall off and break our neck. <laughs> but when we mess up, we need to tell people, I believe, if they know we've messed up in their presence. Nobody should ever have to tell us our faith. It should be evident to everybody that we see. We either have a dynamic, highly potent relationship with Jesus Christ, or we simply have a religion that we're using, a meaningless religion, nothing to offer. We, when I was a kid growing up, we had a, a little drama in our church. I don't remember what it, was, what it was called, but here's the gist of it. If you and I were called into a court of law, and we were convicted of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in our life to convict us? Now, to me, that's something to think about. If we were accused of being a Christian, we were brought into a court of law before a judge and a jury, and the prosecuting attorney was trying to convict us of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in our life to prove that we were a child of God and not just somebody attended church with religion? The world is watching us day by day. It's not enough to say we're a Christian. It's important to be a follower of Christ. And if we're following Him, may God enable us to witness for Him in the journey. CP, which stands for close proximity. You see, it doesn't matter if we have a potent relationship with Jesus Christ if we are not sharing that message and that love with people we come in contact with. Now, if we're going to impact our world for Christ, then we must have effective relationships. We must have close relationships. We must have friendships in this world. Can I tell you my biggest problem? Want to hear it? If you're like me, most of our friends are with Christians. Am I right or wrong? Most of our friends are with Christians. I remember a guy years ago, he got saved off the bar stools. He started going to church. He loved the Lord. He was going to the things of God. But he said, you know what? He said, I don't miss the drinking. But he said, I miss the camaraderie. Had my friends on the bar stool. And we miss that. We miss people. We miss friends. But if we're going to have a high potency relationship with Jesus Christ, it's important that we have the zeal, the knowledge, the determination, and the love. But friend, if we're just evangelizing ourselves and evangelizing a building and evangelizing those in our inner circle, then what are we doing? Jesus was a great example of this. He got out beyond his disciples. He met Peter by the, by the lake. He, he met the Samaritan woman by the well. He met Zacchaeus in a tree. He met Matthew at a tax booth. And there are other examples of where Jesus met people outside of the friends and disciples that he had. We must earn the right to be heard. Here's the thing. We've got to earn the right for people to listen to us. You just don't walk in and say, hey, I'm going to talk to you about something. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what not to do, okay? Because I've gone through a lot of school hard knocks in my life. When I first got saved, I had a little, a little Pinto. Remember the Pintos, Ford Pintos? Oh, that was a sharp car. I put Krager mags on that thing. It was just about to even pull out of the driveway. Had that thing jacked up. Had my hog head painted black and red. I had red, white, red and blue clearance lights underneath it. I had a little antennas on top and a CB radio in it. Had, had uh, uh, clearance lights inside that thing. I put orange shag carpet in it. Had a rebel flag in the back. Man, I was cool. I won't tell you what the guy thought it was when I went to trade it in. I will never, unless you ask me in private, I might tell you. 
It embarrassed me to no end. But I kept Bibles in that glove box. And anybody went thumbing in that day, I'd pick them up. You hit, you, that's what he thought it was, I bet you. Anyway, I'd pick people up thumbing, and I led them to the Lord just like that. I mean, it was amazing. I'd talk to them, and I was concerned about their souls. But one day I was at a car dealer getting my other car fixed, and the guy behind the counter just cussing up a storm. And the more he cussed, the madder I got. And I walked up and said, excuse me, you eat with that mouth? He went, what, what, what? Would you talk like that in front of your mama? He looked at me. I said, buddy, I said, the Bible said to warn them that are unruly, and you are unruly. You need to get saved. Well, I embarrassed that poor old boy to death. I walked out of the car, and I said, Lord, I about to get whipped in there. I said, where were you at? And the Lord began to chasten me. And say, you kind of need to grow up here. You don't force it. We've got to earn the right to be heard, friend. Amen. And can I just say this? Sinners do what sinners do, and they do it well. We may be offended by their speech. We may be offended by their actions. But we can't condemn them for the where they are. And they're not going to change because you're a Christian or I'm a pastor. We need to earn the right to be heard. I go every Tuesday morning and every Thursday morning, just about without fail, to the Northwest uh, Deputy Sheriff's Department. 5.30 in the morning, I get with those deputies, men and women, and let me tell you, they're great people, but they can drop some words. They can drop an F-bomb, and it's not fire truck. They can drop a lot of, a lot of words and do a lot of things. And one day, one of them says, I'm sorry, preacher. I said, just, okay. Little by little, little by little, you warm up. I gave them 25 Bibles for Christmas law enforcement Bibles. They took them like it was candy. Little by little, I talked to this one. Little by little, I talked to that one. And they'll talk to me. It's taken two years almost doing this, but they'll talk to me. They'll call me on the phone once in a while. Can you help me here? Can you help me there? Little by little. Is it worth it? You better believe it. When I see a young man that I'm so burdened for down there, he looks like he's about 28 years old. Two kids as lost as a ball in high weeds. Another one said, Preacher, would I get with you and you marry me and my fiance? God's opening up doors. Let me tell you something, friends. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy task. And it takes time. When they're in Africa, many of the missionaries in Africa, they'll go work the fields with these Africans for two and three months, five or six months, and not one time mention Jesus. They earn the right to be heard. They say, Why are you doing this? Uh-huh. I want to tell you about the man that sent me here. It takes time, it takes patience, and it takes love to see it done. Once again, my neighbor Steve, I buried his wife just a couple months ago. She died of cancer. She was not a, a religious. She accepted the Lord. He's not been religious, but he has his own thing going with God, so he says. Neither one enjoyed church, don't want to go to church. And the other day, after I did her funeral, he said that was greater than anything I'd ever expected. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what he would do. And we were visiting periodically and, periodically, and he came the other day, and he said, you know, I've been around people of faith all my life. And he said, they've condemned me. They've preached at me. They've shouted at me. And I've turned every one of them off. He said, but you're the only one that's never said a word to me. But he says, you live it before me. And he said, my wife, my first wife, she was always telling me what to do and not to do and couldn't do. And he said, I rebelled against every bit of that. But my second wife, she didn't tell me what to do. She lived it before me, and I conformed. What he was telling me is the life I live is working. 
And my prayer is, God, don't let me blow it before him. You know what I mean? Don't let me blow it before him. Because he's listening and he's watching. And to me, that means a great deal. He came over last year and brought my wife and I a humongous nativity scene, hand-carved. It filled up our whole piano because he said, we want you all to have it. That thing was probably, I don't know how much it cost, his hand-carved. His mother-in-law made it, but he wanted us to have it. Think about it. What you, when you have a problem or a crisis in life, who do you go to first? If you're a Christian, you probably go to God. But if you need somebody in the face, who do you go to if you have a problem? There's a crisis. You go to a friend most of the time, do you not? Or a close family member. A, study, a recent study of 10,000 Christians, how they came to church, I think is interesting. Look with me. 1% said they did so as a result of revival service. 2% said they went because they had a special need. 3% went because they liked the church programs. 5% liked the Sunday school. 6% liked the preacher. 79% came to Christ because they were invited by a friend or a family member. Wow. Almost 80% of the people who respond to Christ do so because they already had an established relationship. And greater than that, almost 80% of the people that come to know Christ through a friend, those same people usually get involved and committed to a church and will be faithful to that church. But if that's all we do, we hurt. We need to go back out and duplicate again to multiply ourselves again and again and again in the lives of other people. Now, again, we've talked about proximity to non-Christians with a high-potency faith is important. Now, let's look at the last element, and that's basically CC, which stands for clear communication. Clear communication. Brothers and sisters, we must know the gospel message and be able to communicate it clearly, articulately, and precisely. Don't be like the professor who was talking to a man whose car broke down. The professor said, your tubular air container has lost most of its rotundity. The motor said, come again? And the professor said, the Cinderella apparatus which supports your vehicle has been decompressed. And the motor said, what did you say? And then the professor said, I'll try it again. The elastic fabric surrounding the circular frame whose uh, successive revolutions bear you onward in space has failed to retain the pristine roundness. And he went, what? And the boy walked up and said, hey buddy, you got a flat tire. <laughs> we can make the gospel so non-believable and use words. Think about it, friend. We use words that come common to us. But salvation, righteousness, wholeness, predestination, election, these are words the world don't know and they could care less about. Yeah. We've got to talk a language they understand without getting in the gutter with them. You understand what I'm saying. Think about the greatest, what's, the, what's the one of the greatest verses in the Bible you can think of? Well, well, here's the old-timer salute, remember? Well, what is the greatest, one of the greatest verses of Scripture in the Bible you can think of? John 3, 16. Now think about it, the simplicity. For God so loved the world that He gave His, now here's a big one, begotten. Whoa, what's that mean? Son. And here's another big one, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's simple. We don't need to be a theologian. 
We don't need to have a PhD, which stands for post-hole digger problem. We don't need that. All we need is to be in love with Jesus and tell them in common later. Do you know why the Reader's Digest was such a great red book for years? It was written on a, on a sixth grade, sixth, eighth grade level. That's why it's such a great magazine. It was written on a sixth, eighth grade level. The Apostle Paul said, for real communication takes place, I say something that you understand. For evangelism to impact the world, we must speak in a language in a way they understand. Paul said in Colossians 4, 4, pray that I may proclaim the message clearly as I should. We must talk in terms and use words that people understand. Keep it simple. That's it, just keep it simple. People are not impressed with our big words. They're impressed that we know Jesus and that we are concerned about them knowing him. Again, Paul, Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, when I come to you, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of superior wisdom, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's message was not complicated. Paul's message was not fancy. And if we're to do our part in the word of Christ, we realize that the simple truth of the gospel can be clearly and precisely articulated. Now, friends, many of you are sitting here saying, mm, this is just not for me. I just, I'm not a pastor. I don't think I can do this. I, I just don't think I have enough knowledge of the Word, or I'm not sure about myself to tell them about, about the Lord. Let me share my first, second, third experience of leading somebody to the Lord. I'm in my car riding down the road with him. Martin turns over and he gives his heart to the Lord after about 30 minutes of talking with him. He prays the sinner of prayer, and I go, are you sure you're saved? Yeah, how you know? I feel the presence of the Lord in my heart. I'm changed. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you absolutely sure that you're saved? Yeah. I mean, if you were to die right now, you know you're going to heaven? Yeah. I said, I don't believe it. So I went to an old preacher, an old man's house, and I knew he was a Christian. I went and said, Bob, I said, this man just said, except for what would you find out and make sure it took? I almost talked him out of it. You know why? I wasn't sure myself. We've got to be sure that God's Spirit bears witness with the Spirit of the people that's prayed, and the Spirit bears witness that we're born again. We make it simple that people can understand it. You may say, well, I don't have a radical conversion. I, I, I don't know what to say or how to say it. I'm afraid I'll mess up like I was that day. You, you say, I, I don't know what to do. Well, just tell them what Jesus did for you. Just tell them, if you have to, the prayer that God answered, or how the salvation came to you. What you used to do that you don't do. How you wake up now when you, you know, you, you've gone through so much grief and separation, but man, you've got peace in your heart. Just whatever comes natural that God's done for you. You don't tell somebody what God did for money else. You tell them what God's done for you. That's what a witness is. Tell them what you know, what you have experienced in your life. When I was first saved, most ever, everybody that I saw used of God was somebody that had come off of something. Back in the 40s, I understand, it was singing cowboys that were very popular. Remember those days, the older generation? Singing cowboys. Well, my generation, it was people coming off of drugs. And I remember one time at a church, there was a guy that had been saved. He came into the church, and he brought his drug paraphernalia with him, and he set it here, and he opened up his big bag, and he took out the so-called what looked like drugs, which was sugar, and 
he ground it up, he put it in his spoon, and he lit the candle, and he started burning it, and then he went through the actions of wrapping his arm up and, and taking the needle and, and pulling in and, and acting like he, that's, oh, that's what God delivered me from. I said to myself, did that guy just give glory to God? Would he just tell that congregation how to get high? And I thought, God can't use me. I don't have any testimony coming off of drugs or alcohol, but it dawned on me one day. I can roll up my sleeve and say, God didn't get me off of this, but I want to show you what he never let me get on. <laughs> I want to show you what he never let me get on. Even though I was a sinner, I didn't go that route. And I thank God for that. And, and then, you know, you got these, when I was in college, we had this Miss Florida. Uh, I mean, she's a pretty girl. She'd snag lightning on a clear day. There ain't no doubt about it. And she'd press up there and oh, how she loved Jesus, you know. Well, God used her. But what about that little girl in the front row that's so homeless she can make a train take a dirt road? I mean, do you think God can say, God can't use me? Yeah, God can use that person. You remember the power team that came through years ago? I went to school with John Jacobs. Remember that? And they were ripped phone books into and they were blowing up hot water bottles. Remember those guys? They're great. And man, but what about the little skinny guy on the front row that couldn't throw the songbook up on the platform? God can't use me. I'm going to tell you, no matter who we are, if we have been born again, we have a story. It's personal. We have a testimony. We've been redeemed. We've got something that we can share with the world. Amen. So your story is important. Your testimony is important. Your relationship with God is important, and the world needs to hear it today. You don't need a super impressive story. Tell, tell, just tell them what you know in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you're genuinely concerned about, about them, they'll know it, and they'll listen to you. Now, if you walk the walk, if I walk the walk, I've thought about this so many times. Already this year, I know of two suicides. Already, I was called out the other night to a suicide here on Sleepy Hill Road. There was another one in the hospital just, just a couple nights ago. And I thought, what, what happens in a person's mind? I don't know. What happens? We don't have nobody to turn to. Nobody can offer help. But if you and I will live that life, and people know we have that valuable, viable relationship with Jesus Christ. If they get down where they have enough sense, belief in us, I'll call them to help. Notice what the Bible said in 1 Samuel 9. And he said unto him, Behold now there is a, in this city a man of God. He's an honorable man. All that he says can come to pass. Now let's go to him. Preadventure he shall show us the way that we should go. I pray, O oh God, let somebody know you're that man, you're that woman of God, that if the chips are down, they'll know to call us because we've lived the life. Because we've lived the life. Because they have seen Jesus in us. Not religion, not church, but they've seen Jesus in us. There's always little openings along the way. We can tell people about Jesus. We can talk about a wonderful worship service. We can talk about our prayer life. We can talk about the way God's helped us to change our life. We can talk about the way God's blessed us since we paid our tithe. We can tell God how God's blessed since we started supporting more missionaries. We can tell God how He's changed our life in raising our kids. We don't yell anymore. We love them. You can talk about the change, the little subtle changes that's taken place in your life. You can comment about where you attend church, but we're not trying to get people to go to church. We're trying to bring people to Jesus. And don't just do it one time and quit. If they don't push you away, go back and talk to them again. And here's, here's where wisdom is needed. I remember 
As an associate pastor, I went to a man in the hospital on a lead. Somebody said, so-and-so's in the hospital. He's, he, he don't like church and he don't like Christians. But I went in. Told him who it was. I'm the associate pastor at such and such Assembly of God Church. Just so-and-so was concerned about you. Want me to come by and check on you? I'm here. How you doing? He chit-chatted. You could see the wall going up. We talked about his sickness. We talked about his family. We talked about this, that, and the other. I stayed about 15 minutes. I said, well, it's been nice meeting you. I hope you get better. Would you mind if I come back and see you again sometime? He said, you're welcome anytime because you didn't press anything on me. He said, please come back. Well, most of the time we think, well, I've got to pray. We've got to use wisdom. And there's times we need to pray, and there's times I think we need to be quiet. Is that, that don't sound very scriptural, does it? But I think there are times we need to pray. There's times we need to ask God what to do. I've led people, the Lord, talking about a dog tied to a chain. It's amazing what God will drop in your heart. Jesus talked bread to people. He talked fish to the disciples. He, he talked money to Matthew. You, you, you take the, what God drops in your heart, and you use that as, a, as, a, as an inlay, if you will, to share Jesus with people. That's why every method is different. The message is the same, but the method of sharing the gospel is different everywhere that we go. Your story has power. It's personal. It's conversational. It's not a sermon. It shouldn't be. It's simply you sharing with people what Jesus has done for you. You can do it over a cup of coffee. You can do it on the golf course for those of you that play cow pasture pool. You can do it on the tennis court. You can do it at the Walmart. You can do it at the gas station. You can do it at the mailbox like I do in my neighborhood. You can do it if I'm mowing the yard at the gas station. It's amazing doors will open up. If you pray, I ask you, pray, God help me do the works of an evangelist. Lord help me do the works of a personal soul winner. And look for opportunities daily where God will open up those doors for you to use. Now, if you have joy, peace, and love in your life as a result of knowing Jesus, it's going to be evident. It's natural for friends to want to know more about you, to know more about your life and your lifestyle. That's what friends want to know. You can talk to them. Bring it in gradually. Point people to Jesus Christ. It's your story. It's your testimony. Explain the gospel message. Do it in a way that's relevant. Do it in a way that they'll understand. Do it in a way that as the Lord leads you and directs you all the way. Now, let me hasten on real quick. I want to come to a close tonight. When we appropriate or explain how that we accept the gospel of Christ ourselves, I think it makes people kind of thirsty for the Jesus that we know. There's a lot I want to say, but let me share, close with two illustrations. There was a pastor that used to go to Burger King every day, and he would take books with him in his Bible, and he would work on his sermons. There at Burger King, drinking on his Dr. Pepper and eating his whatever he's eating. One day the manager came in and said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm working on my sermons. I'm a pastor. Oh, that pastor began to ask that manager about opinions and ideas. What do you think about this? They'd sit down and talk. What do you think about this from a sermon? They'd talk. He wasn't even a Christian. But finally, the man, the manager of Burger King started coming to the church to critique the pastor's sermons. <laughs> so seeds were being sown. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, associate pastor, I went to and took a group to Carowinds. Anybody know where Carowinds is on North Carolina, South Carolina border? Carowinds. It's a small Disney world, okay? Great little place. Took the youth group down. I was in my bibbed overalls, 
And um, back in those days, had a big old afro, big old beard, face only a mother could love, let me tell you. I walked into the restroom, and usually in these places, I mean, they're lined up out the door. But nobody was there that day. I went in, went to the bathroom, and, and, and went over to wash my hands. And I took my rake out of my back pocket, and I started raking out my hair. You know, that's how you do them those days. You go afro. Natural soft weave curl. Hold, I have it again. <clears throat> All of a sudden, this guy comes in. He had a big old afro. He walks over to the, he starts picking his out, and he said, what are you doing? I said, hey, you like your head of hair like mine? He said, oh, yeah. We started talking. He said, I think I'm going to park a lot and fire me one up. You want to go? I said, nah, I found something better than that. Went back over and started washing my hands again. He said, you, you, uh, well, what you got? You got something better than marijuana? I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's kid stuff. I said, uh, what you got? I said, I don't think you men left to handle it. I turned around and walked off. Went right out the door. Here he, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, 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 what you got? I said, dude, this is powerful. I said, it changed my life. Well, what, what you got? I said, are you man enough to face it? Are you man enough to talk about it? Are you man enough to take it? Oh, you bring it on. I'm man enough for anything. He's like a dog. I mean, it's like Pavlo's dog. He's eating it up. He's, he's waiting on that bone. I said, you tell you what it is? It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the love of God. Changed my life. You don't want the drugs no more. You don't want alcohol no more. His girlfriend come. Let's go. He said, nope. I want to say and see what this man's got to offer. I led him to Jesus Christ right there on that sidewalk where people were coming in every direction. Took my Bible out and handed it to him and gave him to God. Let me tell you something, friend. The world may be anti-church, but they're not anti-wanting help. And we have the means, we have the gospel, we have everything we need to see people born in the kingdom of God. I pray, please, ask God. Ask God, ask God to birth something new in your life and mine. Because if we are not concerned about souls, may I just be blunt, we're not worth the salt it takes to put in our bread. God, help a church that's not burdened for souls, concerned about people dying and on their way to a devil's head.